Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for our message this morning comes from our gospel lesson from Luke, which was read for you just a few moments ago. The title of my message is The Promise of the Fig Tree. Most of you know by now that I'm currently serving as an active duty Navy chaplain. I'm often asked why I chose to accept this calling after serving seven years in the parish. A big part of it for me is that the military is a mission field. It is a special opportunity to really meet people where they're at. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Military chaplaincy allows me to enter into that military world. I wear the same uniform. I stand in the same formations and participate in their ceremonies and traditions. I will eat with them, sleep with them, deploy with them, and yes, go to war with them. And by so doing, I am able to relate, build trust, and gain an opportunity to minister with God's love. Of course, part of my mission is to provide religious ministry to other LCMS Lutherans, to preach that all-familiar law and gospel of God's word to them, and to strengthen their faith with Christ's body and blood. But the real beauty that I see in military chaplaincy is the opportunity to share the gospel with men and women who might not otherwise ever enter through the doors of a church. That's the beauty. The challenge of military chaplaincy is that it's hard. The occupational hazard, if you will, is that the best ministry takes place in the worst conditions. When my battle buddy is going on the third week of his field exercise, sleeping in tents, traipsing through the mud, enduring long, cold watches, often he's ready to talk to the chaplain for encouragement and strength. And guess what? He's more inclined to talk to that chaplain who's been experiencing some of the same things by his side. And that's the occupational hazard. My ministry grows and expands when I'm surrounded by chaos and calamity. When I face long deployments, danger, and yes, even death, that's when chaplains are really called upon. And that's the military expectation of a chaplain. That when things get bad, they expect the chaplain to be there. So much so that it can even be comical. Oftentimes, I will show up to a unit unannounced, and I'll notice people getting a little anxious. They start whispering to each other, and they give me some concerned looks. One time, I showed up, and someone said, Uh-oh, the chaplain's here. Who's in trouble? Another time, I showed up, and someone said, Is everything all right? Did, did someone die? Nope, just, just here to say hi and check in on folks. The reaction is comical, but at the same time, it's beautiful. What it tells me is that people understand that with calamity and chaos strike, the chaplain is there to bring comfort and hope. 
Hopefully through my ministry, they also come to recognize that when calamity and chaos strike, it's not just the chaplain, but God who is there with them. And that is my hope for you today. My goal this morning is that after hearing my message, you would more fully trust that calamity and chaos is a sign, a precursor that points to the promise of God's loving presence. What do you think of when you hear the word promise? We live in a world full of promises, don't we? Promises from politicians, promises from products and advertisers, promises from family and friends, and of course, promises from God and His Word. And promises can be both good and bad, can't they? I think generally the word promise has a positive connotation, something happy and hopeful like, I'll be home for Christmas. Or perhaps the most well-known promises, the marital vows to be faithful in sickness and health, for richer, for poor, till death do us part. But of course, promises can be bad too. Like the wicked witch of the West threat to Dorothy, I'll get you, my pretty. Or that impending promise of deployment, just hanging over your head as you count down the days till the ship leaves port or the plane takes off for a foreign country. Even God himself has a doom and gloom promise for Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2.17, he says to them, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The promise of sure and certain death. Today, God gives us a different tree with its own promises. In our reading from Luke today, Jesus uses a fig tree as a sermon illustration for his disciples. He says, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. The promise of the fig tree is twofold, both good and bad. The bad was mentioned before Jesus even spoke of the tree. The bad is the these things. These things are all the chaos and calamity that Jesus has been proclaiming will happen. Distress of the nations on earth, perplexity and confusion, the roaring of seas and waves, the fear and foreboding of what's going on in our world. The bad promise is that these things will happen. Just as sure as you can expect the seasons to change from fall to winter to spring and to summer, just as you can expect the fig tree to sprout its leaves and blossom, these bad things will strike the earth. And we know this to be true because we already see it in our world. There is conflict and war and distress amongst the nations. Just look around. People are in total disarray and confusion. The sea continues to roar with storms and other natural disasters, and it certainly seems like most people are fearful of what lies ahead for our country and for our world. Crime, poverty, disease, war, and the list goes on and on. This is Jesus' promise that he points us to with the fig tree. These things will happen. We should expect them. We should watch for them. And in a very strange way, we should take comfort in them because of the fig tree's second promise. 
The second promise, the good promise of the fig tree is this. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Perhaps a better translation may be that the reign of God is near. Jesus is promising that when calamity and chaos strike, he is there reigning in your midst. What a great comfort. Jesus is there reigning. Now, when tragedy strikes, the chaplain, the pastor, your loved ones can't always be there. Time, space, and other commitments can get in the way, but you can always trust, you can always count on Jesus and his promises. When you see and experience these things, these bad things, remember that as Jesus promises, the kingdom of God is near. Remember that you're not alone, that Jesus is there with you, that he is interceding for you, that he is ordering all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Jesus' fig tree serves as a sign that points us to God's promise. And a sign does two things. First, it gives information. So, for example, if you're driving and you see a yellow diamond with a picture of a car and two squiggly lines behind it, you know that the road is susceptible to being slippery when wet. The sign has provided you with some valuable information. The fig tree is a sign that alerts you that these things, these bad things will happen, and yet when these things happen, the kingdom of God is near. Second, a sign gives you direction on how to proceed. So the implication of a slippery when wet sign is that you should proceed with caution on a rainy day. This road is very slippery when wet, so be on alert. Be careful, and you should probably drive much slower on this road. So what is the fig tree telling you and me? Well, first off, I would say that it tells us to not get too frustrated. Don't allow your time and energy to be consumed by the confusion, the destruction, and the hatred that we see in our world. Why? Because Jesus promises that we should expect it. And yet we do this all the time, don't we? We grumble to ourselves or we complain to our like-minded friends. How can people be so rude, so terrible, so evil? How can people possibly vote for this or that or believe in these radical ideas? Well, probably because we're sinful people in a sinful world, and probably because Jesus said these things would happen. More importantly, though, the fig tree tells us to place our trust in God and His promises. When we suffer chaos and calamity, our initial inclination is to either fear and despair or to trust ourselves. But God has a much better way. Just look at Adam and Eve. After they had eaten the forbidden fruit, the one that God promised would result in sure and certain death, what did they do? They responded in fear, didn't they? They hid from God. Adam said to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then what was Adam and Eve's other response? They trusted in themselves to fix things. Instead of owning up to their mistakes, they tried to cover them up. 
Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. How often do you and I fall into that same trap? We face hardship and difficulty in our lives, sometimes of our own making, like Adam and Eve in our own sin, and sometimes from the sinful ill-treatment of others. But regardless of the culprit, we seek to take matters into our own hands and fix things. Rather than trusting in God, we trust ourselves. We double down on our hard work. We more fully commit to being disciplined. And we increase our efforts to achieve a place of power and influence, to be in control. But God won't have it. He loves us too much to allow us to play pretend, living in our fantasy world, continuing the charade that everything is okay. He didn't let Adam and Eve do it. He took their self-made coverings and he gave them new ones. Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. These garments were another sign that pointed forward, that pointed forward to a promise, the promise that God will take away our nakedness and shame. And he won't do it by looking the other way or pretending like everything is fine, like nothing happened. He will cover our shame with a blood sacrifice. Adam and Eve attempted to use the leaves of the fig tree to cover themselves, but it would take a tree with a much greater promise to reconcile us with God. God leads you and me to trust him through the promise of a new tree, the cross of Christ. And just like the fig tree, the cross again promises two things. First, it promises that sin leads to death. And second, it promises that Jesus' death leads to new life. When you look at Jesus' crucifixion, it should cut to the heart. You should shriek and gasp inside, my sin did that. Jesus had to suffer that because of me. And yet, when you see Jesus dying on the cross, you should also exclaim, Wow! God loves me that much! Jesus did that for me! The cross is a sign that gives us very valuable information. Jesus, the Son of God, is the blood sacrifice that takes away our sin, that covers our nakedness and shame, that reconciles us to God and leads us to eternal life. And it also gives us direction. Think about it. If the cross is a sign that promises that sin leads to death, but that Jesus' death leads to life, the clear implication is that you and I should repent and believe in Jesus. Jesus saves you from sin and death and promises you forgiveness and new life. As Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. During Holy Week, there was all sorts of chaos and calamity. There was conflict, betrayal, doubts, threats, attacks, and of course, the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross. And yet, through it all, we know that the kingdom of God was near, that Jesus was reigning in the midst of it all. That's when God does his best work, isn't it? When things get bad, we expect God to be there. 
So remember this promise. Remember that when calamity and chaos and danger and death are swirling about, remember the promise that the kingdom of God is near. For Jesus is there. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard and protect your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.